At this time, I'd like to ask you to boldly turn in your copy of the scriptures to the gospel of Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. We've spent the last uh, few weeks in this sermon series called Basic Equipment for the Christian Life with the hope that developing healthy practices and healthy routines in this area, we would, or these many areas that we've spoken about, Bible reading and prayer and being led by the Spirit and taking a biblical approach to these things, that we might be better equipped to risk more for Christ. Now, if you've been at Grace Fellowship Church for any length of time, you know we talk a lot about progressive sanctification, a lot about the importance of growing, a lot about the importance of changing. And we don't do that just because it's our hobby horse. We don't do that because when the church was planted, we just decided, let's major on something. Everyone's got a soapbox. Let's make sanctification ours. We do that because we think that that's a soapbox that God has as is revealed in his word. You can't read your Bible without seeing the repeated call to change and to grow and to mature as Christians. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6 and verse 10 tells us to finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Two chapters earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, we're told to no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and by human cunningness and craftiness and deceitful schemes. We're not to be children who are easily fooled. Easily fooled by the philosophies and the supposed wisdom of this age, but we're to be firmly rooted in the word of God. The writer of the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. There should be a time in our lives that we would move beyond the milk of the words of the gospel, the the very elementary but important, but elementary principles of the gospel that God opened our eyes to. That should not be where our growth stops. That should not be where our growth stops. In fact, we should grow in the word to such a way and to such a point that we can go and share that word with others. As teachers, it means we're going to teach others, teach our children, teach our neighbors, just teach people the good news of what the Word of God has to say. The Bible has a lot to say about growing. However, while the Bible has much to say about putting off childish ways, Christ simultaneously calls us to be childlike when it comes to how we relate to the Lord. There's lots to be said about growing, lots to be said about maturing, lots to be said about changing our ways to be more like Christ and to grow and not be childish. But there's also much to be said in the word of God about what it means to be childlike. In fact, of all the names believers are referred to throughout the Bible, right? The saints, uh, God's people, nation. I mean, of all the ways that God refers to people who are his own, the one used most commonly throughout the word of God is children, is children. And I don't think that's just how it ended up. I think we need a constant reminder of who we are in God's eyes, a constant reminder that we are his children, that we've been adopted, that we have that spirit of adoption to call him daddy, that he's not 
far off, sovereign, omnipotent God who just, we just cower in front of. Well, certainly the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But it's not where we stay. We don't stay just fearing the Lord because of who he is. That fear for those of us who love the Lord, it turns into an awe. Where we're just in awe and in love of who our father is. That's my dad. That's my dad. Told to put off childish ways yet. But also told to relate to the Lord as children. And Matthew 18 is a great example of this. So let's look at Matthew 18 verses 1 and following. This is what the word of God says. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So at that time, the disciples were looking to Jesus and saying, who is the greatest? Now, if you read the parallel passages, we don't have time to do now, but you can do on your own. In the other areas of the synoptic gospels of this same, uh, this same scenario, we have a, more background information. And we know that the disciples were talking among themselves and actually arguing among themselves about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I think I'm the greatest because he called me first. Are you kidding me? That's just because he came across you first. You're not the greatest. I'm the greatest because look at who he called me. First. I'm a tax collector and he's calling me or, or I'm, I'm this and he called me. Surely he really wanted me. And John chimes in and says, uh, guys, I'm the guy who Jesus loved. And then someone else chimes in and says, only you say that. Stop that. So, so, so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's arguing back and forth. Who's the greatest? I'm the greatest. I think, no, no, my dad can beat up your dad, right? It's, it's very, very childish. You know what? Let's ask Jesus. And the other gospel shows that Jesus actually asked them, what are you guys talking about? How many of you feel like Jesus already knew? Okay, I'll, more of you should, really should have raised your hands there. Because he like, most definitely did. He pokes that bear to start that conversation. He says, well, you know, we talk about who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Hey, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then Jesus takes a child... Okay, and the Greek word there is it, probably an infant, probably a, a really young child, holds the child in his arms and says, you want to talk about greatness? Let's talk about uh, greatness. Unless you turn and become like, can you see him? Like children, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, whoever's humbles himself like like this little child. The person who does that is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And what Matthew does here, uh, what God does through his word, is uh, introduce a theme that you could take with you throughout the rest of the chapter as to how the people of God are compared to children. Now listen, you're going to miss the point that the Word of God says, if you read through this and think, this is a chapter about kids. It's not about kids. Now, li- not, love kids, have kids, dedicate kids, love kids. Kids are a pro. They're a good thing. I love them. I'm just saying, and I'm not saying Jesus doesn't love them. Don't hear me saying that. I'm just saying you will miss the forest for the sake of the trees if you get hung up over the fact that Jesus is talking about children. Because if you look, look in your Bibles at verse 3, Jesus says, truly I said to you, unless you turn and become what? Like children, 
you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, whoever humbles himself like this child. So it's a word picture. It's a metaphor. Jesus is introducing a metaphor to say you've got to be like kids when it comes to this. The children of God are just like children. You've got to be like, you have to understand that. So then in verse 5 when it says whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and drowned into the depths of the sea. That's not saying whoever is causing children to sin. But he's saying whoever is causing the people who are like children, which are my believers, if you were to cause them to sin, young, old, alike, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. So it's taking this child metaphor straight through chapter 18. And I'm not saying children weren't on the mind of Jesus, but hopefully you can see the bigger picture that Jesus is employing a metaphor to say in verses 1 through 4 that all who enter the kingdom of heaven have to do so as a child. Verses 5 through 9, all of us who have entered into the kingdom of heaven must be treated as children. If you look at verses 10 through 14, you would see that Christians need to be cared for as children. Verses 15 through 20, Christians need to be disciplined like children. Verses 21 and following, Christians need to be forgiven like children. It is a metaphor that Jesus uses throughout that discourse to teach us more about ourselves and about who we are. Uh, In your outline, you'll see a copy of Mark chapter 10, verses 14 and following. When Jesus saw it, it being the fact that children were being brought to Jesus and the disciples were rebuking them, saying, no, 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 don't get, get these kids away. He can't be bothered with you. Get your kids away. Take them away. Verse 14, when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, there it is again, like a child, shall not enter it. Look at us. Look at all of us. All grown up, right? Look at you all grown up. We're not perfect. But most of us are grown up. We don't need as much as we used to. Why? We grew up, got a job, finished school, have a husband, have a home, bought a car, whatever it is. The things that you have now that you didn't have before, you weren't able to have them before because you were a child. Now we're all grown up. And that's not bad. Those are great things. It's good to develop properly, to mature and to grow and to change, both practically in life and spiritually. We looked at that earlier, right? God wants us to grow. But as much as God wants us to grow, he still wants you to call him daddy. What about you? When it comes to your prayer life, are you so caught up in living adult life, all grown up, that you forget to call home? Are you so caught up in just the things, not saying bad things, just the things that even things, the things that God has given you. He's given you a job. He's blessed you with a job. He's blessed you with skills that you can use. He's blessed you with neighbors to hang out with, with children to raise, with a marriage to nurture. I mean, I mean, these, these can be good things. But God still wants you to call him daddy. And you and me, we might be too grown up for our own spiritual good sometimes. 
I mean, there's a multitude of reasons that one's prayer life might be stagnant or dry or non-existent. And there's no way we could exhaust them in one sermon or maybe even any amount of sermons. But today I want to call to our attention uh, one possibility that might contribute to a stagnant or dry prayer life. Maybe growing up isn't all about putting all the toys away, but knowing when to take them out. Maybe growing up in the Lord is a good thing, so long as we don't get so busy doing our own thing that we forget to call home and we forget that we have a daddy. And if you're like me and you think, that might, that might be me, then I want to spend the rest of our time looking at four childlike ways, four childlike ways that I'm going to call you and encourage you to put on to enhance your prayer life. Four childlike ways that this is going to go against the grain if you're a grown-up, and the vast majority of you are. This is going to go against what you would typically do because it's not natural, because you're not a child. But God says you got to be like a child. You've got to be like a child in these ways. So I want to present to you four childlike ways, and that's not because we, there's only four ways. It's because we're limited on time, and I'm limited on kids, and I thought through my kids, and I have four of them. So I'm going to use each one of them as to how they relate to me and encourage you to perhaps find some parallels, find an area where you can relate to the Lord in this same way. Four ways you may have outgrown that the Lord may have you return to when it comes to your prayer life. And I think it would be most appropriate for me to pause and pray. So let's bow our heads and ask God to bless the rest of our time here with us today. Lord, we love that we can call you our father. Lord, we love that we can call you our daddy. And we're thankful that the only reason we can do that is because of the grace of of God at work in our lives. Lord, you have poured, you've showered, you've lavished your sovereign grace upon us and called us to yourself, given us new life, given us eyes to see differently and to seek after different things. And for these things, we thank you. Lord, we pray that you would use our time in your word today to remind us of how you see us and how we should see you. How you see us as the children that we are And how we should see you as the daddy that you are. And that that would affect how we speak to you. And Lord, we just pray that you would glorify yourself in our time. In Jesus' name, amen. also want to recommend to you a great book called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. It greatly, greatly impacted me. I'll confess that if you read this book after this sermon, you'll be less impressed with my sermon. If you read this book... And I'm not one of those people who reads a book and every book, oh, it changed my life. It totally changed my life. I don't know where this voice came from. I don't know why I chose to do that. But I'm not, I'm not one of those people who just, oh, this book just changed my life. I don't. But this book did. It changed my life. God used the words of Paul Miller to show me things in his word that really changed my life and my wife's life. So I want to recommend it to you. It is in our resource center. If it's not on our resource center, we'll reorder it, or you can order it on Amazon. I just want to see you understand the principles that he highlights here. It's a guilt-free prayer book. That's how it was recommended to me by Pastor Brad. Here's a prayer book that is guilt-free. Guilt-free. Not the prayer book that tells you of the saints of old who somehow managed to pray 30 hours a day, even though there's only 24, and you don't know how they did that, but you just leave feeling like, I can't, I can't do that. That's so cool that they did that. Wow! And then you're like... I sleep. Apparently they didn't sleep or or something. It's not just presenting to you. And I'm not, don't hear me saying there's no point in reading biographies and stuff like that. I'm, I'm for that, for that. But just saying, you walk away from this wanting to pray. 
You walk away from this wanting to pray, not feeling guilty over where you've been, but feeling excited about where you could go. So I would greatly recommend that to you. Let's take a look at four childlike ways to return to your prayer life, and I will use my four children as examples, and I do so with their uh, permission. The youngest of my children is Silas. He will be two in August, and Silas is just a, a cute little pudgy mess who walks pretty poorly and stumbles and falls and then gets back up and just kind of walks around, and he's, a, he's always somewhere left to his own devices. He's usually somewhere between, as a benchmark, let's say, a mess like a, like a hot mess. Somewhere, somewhere in between there. Okay, so he's usually getting into something. He's playing outside in the yard. He's covered in dirt and mud from his siblings, uh, particularly when he eats spaghetti. I don't know if any of your kids are like that, but, but, but he eats, when, 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 when Silas eats spaghetti, it's, a to, it's the end justifies the means. Right? It has nothing. He's just like, whatever, whatever it is to get that food into my stomach, I will do. And he, it's all over his face. Somehow it's in his hair. It's beyond. It's on the bib. It's beyond the bib. We, we dress Silas differently if we're having pasta. I'm not kidding. True. I, I'm not kidding. We really do because it's just, it gets, it gets every, in his diaper. How, how, that's so weird. How? In his, di- change his diaper, I'm pulling out a strand of spaghetti. <laughs> Regardless of Silas's state, clean, unclean, sauce, mud, if Silas wants something, he goes for it. If he wants to be with someone, he makes a beeline for them. If I come home and Silas has just had a bowl of spaghetti, number one, it's obvious. Number two, if he sees me, he just comes running up to me. It never crosses his mind as a child. Am I a mess? He just came home from work. Dry cleaning is expensive. I should clean up. Love you. Love you. I'm going to go clean up that. That never crosses his mind. Do you know why? He loves me. I'm his daddy. He loves his mother. He loves his siblings. So it's just, you know, we're like, ah. say something? If you're anything like me, and I think you probably are, (laughs) you're a mess. Hot mess. Particularly those of you who think right now, no, I'm not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Silas doesn't think so either. Okay. So you're, you're mess. You're a mess. Matthew 11 and verse 28 is, come to me all who are not messy. Come to me all of you who have it all worked out. Come to me all who are clean and organized and a perfect example to all. It just doesn't say that. In fact, the prerequisite, if you will, in Matthew 11 and verse 28 to coming to the Lord is one who is burdened or who labors or who's weary and heavy laden. And God promises to give us rest. God doesn't tell us to come to him after we get our act together. 
He wants us to come to him because we're a complete mess, a hot mess. And he wants us to come to him just as we are. So the question for you is, how does your messy state of being, whatever it is, affect your prayer life? How often do you consider your messy ways, whether it's a a mess in your life, a mess in your heart and mind that only you and God know about, or if it's just the messy way you pray because you go to God and you get distracted, and then you go back and you start praying again, you apologize for getting distracted, and then your phone buzzes, and then you have to take that call, and then you go back, to you look at the time, and you've got to go to work. And you think, I'm just a mess. It's just messy. I don't go to God messy. I'll get it together first. And when I learn how to get it together and keep it together, I will then approach God Almighty in prayer. Now, the thing is, what do you think I do when I come home and Silas runs towards me as a hot mess covered in whatever? Well, I'll confess to you, it probably depends on my mood. But that aside, (laughs) I mean, I want him to come to me. He's my son. And I might have wipes nearby. (laughs) Or like black flag or something. I mean, just, well, just. But I'm going to take him and I'm going to clean him up. I'll clean him up. I'm his daddy. I got you, buddy. I'll clean you up. Look at you all messy. Come here. I'll clean you up. Do I want my son thinking, I'm not running to dad until I'm clean? Neither does God. You come running to him a hot mess. He says, come. Come. Come to me, all who are weary, all who labor, All who are burdened, I'll give you rest. I'll clean you up. I'll sanctify you. I'll clean up that mess. But you got to come. Silas is a mess, but it doesn't stop him from coming to me. Uh, Luke 5 and verse 31 shows us an example of Jesus' overarching opinion of those who consider themselves to be really clean really healthy, really got it together. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus has never been interested in people who say, I've got it nailed. Hey, Jesus, how are you? My name is Peter. I've got it nailed. He's never been interested in that. You don't see Jesus saying, wow, the Pharisees are like whitewashed tombs, but man, does that white shine. He's never been impressed by people who in and of themselves see themselves as clean, in and of themselves see themselves as worthy of coming before him or coming to him. Come messy just as you are. But you need to ask yourself, do I pray less because I know I'm a mess and I feel the need to clean up my act before I pray? Does that affect whether or not I speak to God? Does that affect how I speak to God? Does that make me we just want to turn away, just, just walk away? And you know what? I'll come, back. I'll come back when I get it all together. And that day doesn't come. Come to God messy. I have one daughter, Emmeline, and she is something else. She is something else. 
Emma is uh, about five years old, and uh, she was talking to me the other day about what she wants to do on her birthday. Daddy, when it is my birthday, can you ride the carousel with me? She's taking her ride the carousel. Sure, I can. Yeah, we could do that. That'll be fun. She, she also, I, I also want to go to Florida. That's Florida. We'll go to Florida. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, what else do you want? She also wants to go to Ocean City, New Jersey. She likes that place. Uh, she also wants a goldfish. And she wants to go to a museum. And she wants to get her nails done. And she wants to wear her special dress. All of which we are discussing because her birthday is coming on the 4th of March. March. It just happened. It's on her mind. She's, Daddy, can we do this? Can we do that? Can we do? And she's one of those, maybe you've had, maybe, I don't know if all kids, she in particular, of all my kids, kids don't really have a real concept of, uh, uh, at least not at her age, don't, I really understand time. And she's, but of all my kids, like the whole, I don't know if any of you have had kids where next week and next year, it's the same. It's coming. It's in the future. They're equal distance. It doesn't matter. So it's just in the future. So she just knows that this is coming. And if you tell, she's one of the kids that if you want to make plans to do something, you tell them like 20 minutes before you leave. Not like weeks out. Oh, we're going to go to the beach with Nana and Papa. And we say that in February and it's coming in May. And she's like, are we going today? Are we going today? Are we going today? When we go, can I, can I get shells? Can I bring my bucket? Can I do this? It's like, yes, 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 yes. I love her. Let's do a quick analysis of how little children ask. That's what Paul Miller says. It's in your outline, this quote. What do they ask for? Everything and anything. If they hear about Disneyland, they want to go there tomorrow. How often do little children ask? Repeatedly, over and over again. They wear us out. Sometimes we give in just to shut them up. How do little children ask? Without guile, they just say what is on their minds. They have no awareness of what is appropriate or inappropriate. And Emma has no concept of whether or not it's the right time to ask. And she's not whining about it. She's just letting you know, hey, this is on my mind. This is on my heart. It would be fun to do this. Could we do this? Daddy, could we do this? Could we ride that carousel? Could we do this? Could we go to Florida? She couldn't find Florida on a map. She's never been, but she wants to go. So, so, so it's just, if this, hey, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? Over and over and over and over and over again. It reminds me of a parable that we can find in Luke chapter 18. Turn over to Luke chapter 18. I love parables. I love parables. Who doesn't love a story? Everyone loves a story. It would stand to reason that the stories Jesus told are the best ever because it's Jesus. So these are great stories. Jesus tells these stories as an illustration. Whenever you see a parable, I want you to think parallel. Parable parallel. There's a parallel illustration. I need, to, I need to understand what is Jesus talking about here so that I can apply it to my life. So I want to take a look at Luke chapter 18 at the parable of the persistent widow. And in verse 1, we have a biblical spoiler alert. It tells us exactly why he's telling us the parable. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. You'll see in a minute why, I think, why Dr. Luke decided to put that as he was recording this. Because I think if you don't have that understanding, it's, there's a chance you might run in misinterpreting. I know I might do that, in misinterpreting the parable. So he starts right off from the get-go, say, and now Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Verse 2. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither, this is a real winner, neither feared God nor respected man. 
Just think about that. This guy, he doesn't like God or people. Sweet. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Okay? So, so it's not like she's really needy and I've been won over. It's like, you know what? And I love how it says, though I neither fear, you know what? I was thinking about myself and I said to myself, self, even though I really don't give a rip about God or others, I think I will grant this request. Why? Verse 5, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Verse 6, and the Lord says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, I don't know about you, but aren't you glad there's that spoiler alert? Because I feel like if verse 1 wasn't there, I would think, moral of the story is, I can wear God down. Lord, make me an annoying servant. Let me wear you down with my irritating ways. And that's not what's being said here. What is being said here is that it's important that we persist to God, persist in our prayers. Uh, a, uh, A friend of mine and a friend of actually Pastor Brad's by the name of Dennis Newell, preached a sermon on preaching with importunity that really impacted me. Importunity. If you are importunate, it means you're persistent, especially to the point of annoyance or irritation. Persistent even to the point that it's like, wow, he really wants it. Wow, she's really passionate about that. Wow, look, it's so much on her heart. Look, okay, wow. Look, uh, fine, 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 fine. Because it gets to the point, it's like, okay, we get it. We get it. You want this. We get it. D.A. Carson comments on this passage. It's in your outline. The really vital question is not whether God will respond to prayer, but whether there will be faithful people who have persisted in prayer and not lost hope when the Son of Man comes. The parable is an encouragement to continue in prayer without losing heart right through the difficult times of waiting before the Son of Man comes. Is that you? Kids do that. Emma's looking forward to March 4th. She wants to ride a carousel here and go to Florida and wear a pretty dress and get a goldfish. Do you think she thinks, you know what? This is so silly. It's May. Why would I be talking about this now? What if dad forgets? I'm going to write myself a note and I'll tell him later. January, February-ish. Earlier, what would the airfares to Florida? It's on her heart. It's on her heart, it's on her mind, it's out her mouth. It's on her heart, it's on her mind. I love daddy, daddy loves me, I'm going to talk to him about it. I'm going to tell him what I want over and over and over and over and over again. Over and over and over again. Do you pray that way? You say, no, that's ridiculous, it's acting like a kid. I know. Is your prayer life marked with importunity? Will you persist in prayer to God like a child persists with her parents? Do you have faith that the prayers of God's children can can move God's heart 
that, that he longs to hear from his kids and what's on their heart. Do, do you have that childlike heart and mindset about you in the way that you pray? Or do you think, oh, I've, asked, I've asked four times, I've asked for four years, I've asked for 40 years, I should stop. He knows what I want. He's sovereign. He's omnipotent. I'm just going to stop. Emma doesn't do that. That's all I'll say. Emma doesn't do that. Uh, I've asked him for the carousel. He knows. I'm sure we'll do it. <laughs> no. She asks again and tells me how excited she is. And tells me the horse she wants to ride and how we can get there. And asks if I can get her the little gold coin so that she can ride it in the future. She's, it's, she's thinking about it. She's thinking about it. She's thinking about it. Is that how you are with your Daddy. So Jonathan is eight, and uh, we went through this, uh, as a family, this, like, frozen yogurt season. I don't know. We were just eating more of it than we typically do. So we were really excited about Froyo. And uh, Jonathan would sometimes, I remember, he would ask if we could go get frozen yogurt with no regard to the time that, or the surrounding circumstances, but he just, he just figured he'd ask. So I'll say something like, all right. Got to go to bed in five minutes, all right, so get ready. In five minutes, you got to get ready for bed, so start cleaning up your toys. And he'll go, Daddy, can we go get frozen yogurt? I'm like, no, see previous line. In uh, five minutes, we're going to get ready for bed. And Jonathan just has this look. He just goes, and he just kind of walks away. And it's like, it's, it's like he's like, eh, took a shot. I just figured I would take a shot. And I, I go for no. And he's got this look like, I right, take a shot. I'll probably be taking another one another day. And that's how Jonathan rolls. That's just how, he, that's just how he rolls. It's not the same as Emma. Emma asks over and over again and gives you details about the issue. Jonathan is asking if we could do it now, but now it isn't only always terribly uh, convenient. And what he did was essentially he just took a shot. Yeah. And he does. He, just, he handles disappointment most times in those cases pretty well. I think he knows, right? Surely he, anyway. But, but he, he, he just says, you know, can we go? I go, no. And it's kind of like, yeah, oh, well, took a shot. So I've been thinking about this. Like, why does he do that? It's not disrespectful. I said, we're going to go to bed in five minutes. He's thinking, ooh, maybe we could squeeze in. You said five minutes? Not now? Idea. Here's why I think he does this. I think he knows I'm for him. I think he knows I delight in his happiness. When he's happy, I'm pretty happy. I like when he's happy. If I, if I can make him happy reasonably, yeah, I'll do that. I think he knows I'm for him and I have means. I like, I'm for him and I have the means to bring this to bring this about. I'm for him and I have, you know, I, there's a little bit of a history. We've, we've gotten frozen yogurt before. Clearly dad knows how to get there. Uh, he, can, he has the money to buy it and we get home safely. Dad, dad has means. Dad is for me and he has means. So he asks. He takes a shot. What then shall we say to these things? Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, he has, we have history. We know he's for us. 
He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God is for us and he certainly has means. Is that enough of a reason for you to cry out to your heavenly father and ask him for something? I took a shot. He's for us and he has means. David says in Psalm 56 and verse 9, Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. Now, young children don't think through surrounding circumstances when asking their parents for things. And oftentimes, it's those two things that drive them to ask. Oh, he's for me. He has means. I'm taking a shot. Okay, we're going to get to bed in about five, ten minutes. Ooh, 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 ooh. Can we go get frozen yogurt? No. But he's like, well, he's forming, he has means, I'm taking a shot. Adults think, wait a minute, no, we can't get, for, what time is it, hold on, where's my, what time is it close? We, I don't, wait, wait, we need to get to bed. What do we have tomorrow? We think like adults, thankfully. I shouldn't ask. It's just a problem when you think that way with God. Ah, I've asked God so many times, I've asked him before. He's got, what with all he's got going on and earthquakes and tsunamis and, and, I have a friend who's dying of cancer. Here I am with my little peedly need. I'm not going to ask. And I'm just saying, be a kid. Take a shot. He's for you, and he has means. That should be enough that drives us to our knees. Say, well, you know what? God is for us, and he has means. So I should ask, do you find yourself thinking twice about whether or not to pray for something? He, he knows you're thinking. You know he knows you're thinking that, right? But we think like, oh, should I say this? I don't know. You know, what kind of a mood is he in? Has he had a good lunch? He's for us. He has means. Is it not enough to know that God can answer? Not God will answer. Here's a quick, quick illustration. It becomes a problem, not that Jonathan asked me to have Froyo, but if he throws a tantrum when the answer is no. Right? That's a problem. So this is the fact that that God can answer is what gives us faith. Not the faith healing, name it, claim it movement that says, if I ask, I will get it because he's my dad. Okay, that's very, very different. This is not, I know God will. This is, I know God can. I know God's for me and he has means. I know God can. I'm asking him this because I know God can. Jonathan asked me for Froyo because he knows I can give it to him. That should be what drives us. We, we, we can talk to a God who can, who's answered to Everything we ask of him is, I can do that. I can do that. That's not hard for me. Okay, what do you, I can, whether he will or not, we don't know. That remains to be seen. But what an encouragement to know that we're talking to someone who can. I want to see somebody say, it. I, I can do that. I'm, I'm, that's not too big for me. This is not too hard for me. I, I want, I, I really think a better job would make better for my family so that I can do different things. Okay, I can do that. God says, I can do that. Take a shot. Really? That flippantly? Yeah, just be like a kid and take a shot knowing that God is for us and he has means. And finally, there's Justin, who is my 11-year-old. Justin comes to me with everything and comes to, but just because. I don't know if, any, if your kids have been like this or if you were like this, but... 
He just likes to tell us what just happened. There's nothing really attached to it. It's not a request. But it's just, and especially if sports, he likes sports. So he's like, hey, Daddy, can you believe it? Nice was on base, and all of a sudden, Lagares came to the plate, and he hit the go-ahead home run, and then that got us three runs, and then we won. That happened last night, by the way, against the Phillies. That really happened. But anyway, the Mets won. <laughs> so, um, but... But he just tells you, he's like, and this happened. We were watching the Super Bowl. Super Bowl, just me and the kids down in the basement. And we're watching the Super Bowl. And um, Justin kept running upstairs. Sarah was not, I don't know what she was doing. She was not watching the Super Bowl. Just doing her own thing or reading or doing whatever she's doing. And he kept coming up and going, hey, mommy, hey, mommy. You know what just happened? The ball's on the 40 and then all of a sudden he threw a pass and it was intercepted. It was turned it around and now it's first down. So they're going, mommy, mommy, listen. So he gives those play-by-plays. But there's no reason attached to it. It's just, and then that happened. But it's not just sports. It's books. So he's reading a book. Hey, Dad, I was reading this book and this chapter and this person said this. And all of a sudden, I thought this person was the bad guy. But in reality, he was the good guy. And then this person changed. And, and then it was really, really fun. <laughs> Listening to a book on tape. Good, good, good night. Good night. Love you. All right. Good night. Fade out. Ten minutes later. Fade in. The scene. Peter, Sarah, in living room. Quiet. Kids in bed. Hey, Ma, you can tell you this one thing. This, is, this just happened. I was listening to this book on tape, and this is... Wow. That's cool. Go to bed. He's not asking for a thing. He's not, well, the Mets are beating the Phillies, so I figured I would tell you because maybe we could hop a plane. No, no. He just wants to tell me. Because we listen. There's no need. Hey, this is what happened. Oh, ooh, this is what happened. There's, there's no need attached to it. There's no, in light of this, we need to do this. Can you grant me this? No, it's just, just because you'll listen. Just because you'll listen. Hey, daddy, hey, this, hey, that. Just because we listen. There's never really a reason behind it. He talks to us because we listen, and we do want him to speak to us. And so many times in the scriptures, we're reminded that God hears our Prayers, Psalm 65, 2, O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh shall come. First John chapter 5, we read this, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, what? He hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. Is that enough of a reason? That's enough of a reason for my son to tell me things. It's just because we listen. Just because we listen. Hey, guess what? This happened. Hey, guess this happened. And I asked him, I said, can I share this in my sermon? It makes me think about how you pray. He was like, yeah. I said, could you do that? He's like, yeah, I do. <laughs> Is that enough of a reason? The fact that God, the scriptures say, inclines his ear toward you. That should motivate you to pray. He hears. He listens. I can go to him because I can go, hey, daddy. Hey, Daddy, guess what? I was really upset at this, and then this happened, and this was so cool. Hey, Daddy, guess what? Today started out really, really, really good, and somewhere I lost my focus, and now I'm functioning like an atheist, wondering what's going on in my life. Conversation develops intimacy. We talk to God because he listens. I want to call our worship teams forward. We can go to God messy, just like Silas runs to me. 
We can go to God with importunity, being persistent. This is what's on my heart. This is what's on my heart. This is what's on my heart. Just like children. We go to God um, because he's for us. We take great hope in the fact that he's for us. And that he has means. He's, he is both good and, he's, he's good and able and sovereign. He's, he's, we go to him because he's for us and he has means. And we go to him simply because he listens. And you know one of my favorite things about when Justin comes to me? And I don't think it'll happen forever. Maybe it will. I don't know. He still calls me daddy. So it's, hey, daddy. Hey, daddy, listen. Hey, daddy, the Mets, this. Hey, daddy, the Reds traded. Hey, hey, daddy, this. And you can go back to your heavenly father. And he longs for you to call him daddy because you're his child and he's our daddy. And he's given us the spirit of adoption by which we can come to him and say, Abba, daddy, father. And if we have that, why don't we? So we're going to close with a song that's actually a children's worship song. Uh, But the words are so, so, so good. And kids sing it. Just, they just accept it. They just sing these words. Oh, yeah, this is the truth. But for us as adults, if you're like me, you look at these words and they bring tears to your eyes or because you're like, oh, I've forgotten that. These are such elementary principles, but I've forgotten that about my daddy, about my heavenly father. So we're going to sing that now. Lord, I pray that you would use your word in our lives and in our hearts to remind us of who we are before you. We are, we're just your children. You're our daddy. And Lord, I pray that as a result of us coming to you, just as children come to their daddy, Lord, you would increase within us the hope that we have, the courage that we need, the confidence that we need to represent you well in this life that you've given us. Amen.